This video is the first in a two-part series focused on planning and conducting the closure of a lagoon or earthen manure storage basin. In this first video, we focus on the planning process. Lagoons, earthen manure storage basins, and settling ponds have been used to store and treat livestock manure for many years. When a farmer decides to cease operation of a livestock production system, earthen manure storage structures must be closed properly to protect ground and surface waters. The closure process should be carefully planned and conducted to minimize environmental risk and to meet any state and local regulatory requirements. It is recommended that you consult with the regulatory agencies in your state prior to initiating closure of a manure storage to identify any state-specific requirements. The goals during closure of a lagoon or earthen manure storage should be to 1. Utilize stored nutrients such that their agronomic value is maximized while ensuring minimal risk to the environment, and 2. Permanently eliminate the storage structure or convert it to a pond. After watching this video, viewers should understand the benefits of planning for utilization of stored nutrients, methods for estimating the volume of contents in a storage, how to collect and submit samples of effluent, slurry, and or sludge for laboratory analysis, how to interpret a nutrient analysis report and identify relevant information, methods to determine the value of stored nutrients, and how to choose the locations and methods for application of storage contents. There are two benefits from adequately planning to use the nutrients that are in the lagoon sludge. Those two important advantages are to increase the fertilizer replacement value and to reduce any off-site impacts. What we want to do is balance the amount of sludge that we have available with the land that is available to have that sludge applied to. In order to do that, we need to do some calculations about how much sludge is produced, the amount of land we have, and then we have to know the concentration of nutrients in the sludge and also the value of the land in terms of its productivity and its status for various nutrients. To determine the amount of land needed to apply your sludge at an agronomic rate, you need to know not only the nutrient analysis of that sludge, but also the volume of sludge in your storage. Lagoon sludge can be estimated in a number of ways, from very simple to high-tech. Regardless of the method, the full depth of the lagoon must be known. Most of the time, this information can be found in your design plan, nutrient management plan, or your permit, along with stage storage levels. Once you know the full depth of the pond, you can determine the volume of liquid and sludge combined. Next, you'll need to determine the depth of the liquid. One simple method for measuring the liquid volume in your lagoon storage is to use the fishing pole with a bobber and a lead weight. Put the lead weight at the bottom of your fishing line and then a bobber about to the depth where you think that liquid might be. Cast out over the pond and when the liquid depth is just exactly the same as the weight, the weight will sit on the bottom and leaving the bobber to tip on its side. I like to put the red side down so that I know if the red is showing that the weight is on the bottom of the, of the pond. If the weight's not on the bottom of the pond, the bobber will stay upright and the white area will show. You want to adjust your bobber to the point where the weight just hits the bottom so that then you can measure the bobber for the distance from the bobber to the weight and that will be the, dip, the liquid depth at that particular point in the pond. Repeat for many points across the pond, maybe even making a rough map. 
you'll likely find that the water depth is not equal across the pond. Based on these measurements, you can calculate the volume of liquid from that average. Subtract the volume of liquid from the full volume of the pond with both the sludge and the liquid to determine the volume of the sludge. A much higher tech way of estimating the volume of sludge is to use a boat and sonar system, similar to a depth finder used for fishing. This method requires a person in the boat and therefore safety gear, including a life preserver. Additionally, this method commands more expensive equipment and must be calibrated. However, it results in a much more accurate estimation than the bobber and fishing pole method. Along with estimating the volumes of sludge and effluent in the storage, it's also important to determine the concentration of nutrients in each of these products. Once the volume of each component and the concentrations of nutrients in each component are known, the total quantities of nutrients can be calculated and used to develop a land application plan. While there are published references available that list estimated nutrient concentrations for lagoon sludge, effluent, and slurry from various livestock species, the most accurate estimate of nutrient concentration is obtained by collecting samples from the actual storage basin and having them analyzed at a laboratory. If a lagoon or storage basin will be agitated to remove liquid and sludge simultaneously, a sample can be collected once agitation has been taking place for several hours or even a couple of days to ensure that a well-mixed and representative sample is obtained. If the effluent will be pumped and the sludge removed separately, the liquid and sludge will need to be sampled independently. A long-handled pole with a small sampling container on the end can be used to collect liquid samples at multiple locations around the lagoon. These samples should be combined in a bucket and then a single bottle filled for submission to the lab. When sampling effluent, it is important to avoid sampling too close to the edge of the basin where floating or stirred solids could enter the sample, as these could affect test results. Sludge will likely need to be collected during the sludge removal process since few methods exist for collecting this material while it is still in the storage structure. Multiple samples should be collected and combined to create a composite sample for submission to a laboratory. While initial land application activities may be conducted without the nutrient analysis completed, results will typically be available within a few days and adjustments to application rates can then be made for the remaining volume of sludge. Once samples have been collected, they should be submitted to a laboratory for analysis right away to ensure the most accurate results are returned and to assist with planning of pumping and land application activities. Fresh or frozen samples will provide accurate results but before freezing, make sure there is enough room in the bottle for the liquid to expand when frozen. If a sample would be shipped to a lab, you'll want to be sure to package it well to prevent any leakage. Wrap duct tape around the lid, place the bottle inside a plastic zipper bag, and pack absorbent material around it in the shipping box. Don't forget to place the sample submission form in the box so the lab knows what to do with the sample when it arrives. These submission forms should be available from any laboratory to which you submit your sample. Typically, you will need to indicate your name and contact information, where the results should be sent, what tests you are requesting, and what type of sample is being submitted. Once we have the information from sampling the sludge and the soil, it's time to do some calculations. The University of Nebraska has several tools that are useful to making these calculations. Other states, agronomists, various agencies have similar tools. I will be presenting the Nebraska tools because that's what we're familiar with, but there are a lot of places and ways to make these calculations. The sludge at the bottom of a lagoon is not manure, but the principles of making the calculations are the same. 
even though the details of the sludge material are a little bit different than manure. So what we have is a spreadsheet. When you have all your data together, you can fill in the spreadsheet with the numbers. In this case, for this presentation, I am going to use some sludge from the Haskell Ag Lab. We have a swine lagoon that we are in the process of closing down, and so we do have some actual numbers. On the screen under sludge is the numbers we have uh, taken from that area. And if you compare it to what our book values are for just a general swine slurry, you can see that the organic nitrogen is much higher in the sludge, the phosphorus is much higher, and the potassium is a little bit lower. So we have to use those numbers, uh, and that makes it a little bit different in terms of the output uh, in what we calculate as our application rate. The soil that we were going to put this material on happened to be fairly fertile. And so in our analysis of the soil, we had fairly high organic matter. Our phosphorus levels were high. Our potassium levels were high. Uh, and compared to the critical level, the level which we don't recommend, fertilizer, uh, both phosphorus and potassium were higher than those critical levels. So if this was a university recommendation, we would probably just recommend some nitrogen. Now, because a lot of producers will have fields that are at these kind of fertility levels, unless you have a high-risk situation where there's a lot of erosion, you can use crop removal to come up with a plan. And so on the screen we have the pounds of phosphorus and potassium and sulfur that would be removed in 175 bushel corn crop. So we could use those numbers as well. So then once we have these numbers, we put them in the spreadsheet uh, and make our calculations. The one point that I want to make about the sludge that is maybe unknown or different than with manure is that we don't know how fast that organic nitrogen comes out of the organic nitrogen. In our analysis of the organic nitrogen, uh, it's 38 there, so there's a fair amount of organic nitrogen that we have to account for. Normally we would account for about 25 to 30 percent. So in field studies that I have seen in the literature, the sludge comes out about in the general ballpark of some of the manures. Um, what I found was over three years, there's about 35 to 40 percent availability. So you could use that number in calculating how much nitrogen comes available in the first few years. What I did with the spreadsheet is come up with different levels of nutrient needs. So not using the soil test, but just assuming 175 bushel yield and putting down what would be what I would consider a high rate of nutrients for a very poorly uh, fertilized soil, we would have a lot more uh, nutrients that we can account for and give value to. If we just looked at the crop removal, where I have uh, a lower amount of phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, and zinc, that would be what most people would probably want to use where they didn't have a lot of deficient sites. A farmer who is actually buying sludge would probably make the case that they only want to pay for the amount of nutrients that are in their nutrient recommendation. And so that farmer would say, well, I really only want to pay for 135 pounds of N. I don't need the phosphorus, potassium, sulfur. 
And so that is where the bargaining comes in between the seller and the buyer of these kind of materials. We also have a uh, part of the spreadsheet where you can put the increased value of that material in terms of increasing yield and then give a credit for how much you want to value the price of corn. Uh, we know that adding organic material to a field does help productivity, and so uh, we have to make some estimates of how much yield would be increased. What I have on the screen would be for the case of the very deficient soil. So over four years, that adds about $70 just because of the yield increase. If we summarize going through the spreadsheet, and I'm not going to spend time on all the details, but what's important is to look at those four different strategies. Each of those columns has different numbers. And we're only valuing the nutrients that will affect the crop. So if we take the extremes from the actual soil, the test values, the university recommendations on the right, that $167 per acre is due to the nitrogen. We're not crediting any of the phosphorus or potassium. But if you look at the column on the left, the low nutrient levels, there we're crediting a lot of the nutrients because they are needed. So that difference between 473 and 167 is, uh, is a very big number. And if we look at it in terms of actual sludge in thousands of gallons, the price per thousand gallons changes as well. So it, it's, also, it's, it's economically better of course, to apply where you need more of the nutrients. Uh, I also have the actual rate that we calculated we needed to uh, fulfill the nitrogen needs. So you can see there, there's a big range from 2.8 to 13.3. Uh, the phosphorus only recommendation, that 2.8, only applies the amount of phosphorus needed in that removal basis. And so it's very valuable on a on a per thousand gallon basis. The problem with that uh, one is you use about one-fourth the amount of material per acre, so you would have to have almost four times more acres to spread your whole pile of uh, sludge. Your case is going to be unique, and we can't give you recommendations for a specific situation. What we need to remember is we need to calculate how much sludge we have, how much land we have, and the various concentrations in both. And then we can come up with a plan that is economic and environmentally sound. There are two more common options for sludge and effluent removal from a lagoon. The first option is to dewater the lagoon as much as possible through an irrigation or drag hose system, leaving all of the settled sludge in the bottom of the storage. This option requires access to irrigation or drag hose system and then handling of larger volumes of sludge. The other way is to agitate the storage with the intention of getting as much sludge into suspension as possible. The agitated mixture of effluent and sludge can then be pumped and applied to cropland through a drag hose system or tank style spreader. Inevitably, there will still be sludge in the storage once the mixture has been removed, but the volume will be much less than dewatering and handling the sludge separately. Sludge removal for either option will require an excavator or large loader and a manure spreader that can handle liquid or slurry manure. Side slinger style spreaders are likely to handle manure of this consistency the best. 
Once you've determined the amount of nutrients available in the storage and where they should be land applied, you're ready to begin the closure process. Estimate the volume of liquid and or sludge contained in the storage structure. Next, collect samples of storage components and submit them to a laboratory for nutrient analysis. This information is necessary to accurately plan for utilization of nutrients on agricultural cropland. Use the nutrient analysis to calculate total nutrients available and area of land needed for manure application. Next, identify the most appropriate fields on which to apply effluent, slurry, and or sludge. And finally, identify the application method or methods most appropriate for the amount and type of material to be land applied and determine who can provide such equipment or services. Once you've determined the quantities of nutrients available in the storage and where they should be land applied, you're ready to start the closure process. Remember, the goals during closure of a lagoon or earthen manure storage should be to utilize stored nutrients such that their agronomic value is maximized while ensuring minimal risk to the environment, and to permanently eliminate the storage structure or convert it to a pond. Join us for the second video in this two-part series where we learn how to complete the closure process of a lagoon or earthen manure storage basin.